to consider the full spectrum, right? The context of this, right? You've got 400 years of slavery, Jim Crow, reconstruction, mm -hmm. uh, mass incarceration of black and brown people. There have been protests for so long mm -hmm. in this. I mean, we've done everything. Executive orders. No, at no point in this country was anything ever done for a person of color without a protest, right? Mm -hmm. Or a assassination. I mean, mm -hmm. it has always taken bodies and lives to make any progress against white supremacy. So yes. I'm not supporting or condoning, I think, the violence, et cetera. But I understand that a lot of it is due to um, pent up anger and the acknowledgement that no there one is, is listening. And so I, I think, you yep. know, everyone shares the Martin Luther King quote, you know, you know, rioting is a language of the unheard. But before that, he said, hey, Rioting is destructive and a lot of times it's, it's self-defeating. So he didn't advocate for it, but he also understood that yeah. it's only so long you can tell someone, hey, yeah, we're going to keep oppressing you, but you don't really speak about it. We're going to yeah. oppress you. I need you to protest my way. Almost 20 years ago, our paths crossed in the sneaker world. And since then, we have been on a professional and personal journey together. We made a lot of mistakes and had a lot of fun, even a few wins along the way. Our goal in all of this is to share experiences and insights so you don't have to make some of the same errors that we did. And in addition, we want to help you begin to think about things just a little different. So join us as we unpack our unsolicited and sometimes polarizing views on business, faith, and family with questions that make you want to unfollow. So welcome to week two of the Unfollow Podcast. AP, real talk. Man, what a difference a week can make. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's been fascinating. You know, we had been just kind of talking about, I mean, you always talk about, you know, race and faith and our, our upbringings and culture. Mm -hmm. And now to see conversations like that brought to light in the mainstream, not only in the media, but in people's hearts and homes where there are people who never talk about race or social justice who are now talking about it. And, you know, I think a lot of us have, you know, I think obviously there's people who are hurt. There's people who are um, angry. There's people who are um, just confused trying to figure it out. And I think, you know, we're all looking for, Hey, what's that next step? What do I do? What do I say? How do I help? It's a very American way to, to look at problems. Uh, how do we jump in? But I think, you know, for us, a lot of it is just like, Rest with this this pain, man. I mean, this is this is a long four centuries of pain that we all gotta we got to deal with it, and we will get to solutions. But right now, it's time just to learn and just process and like sit sit under that cloud. Don't try to rush through this. Mm -hmm. How about you? No. How, how you feeling? No, that's good. Uh, I got a lot of feedback already on episode one. Uh, I feel like of the three people that listened to it, uh, <laughs> it was my mom. I think she listened twice, so don't worry about it. Yeah, I got a lot of feedback that um, I think created a lot of conversations. A lot of guys, I think, in my life, in my friend circle, already share some of the same perspectives that I do. But it was good to have them verbalize that and then also ask some genuine questions. You know, because I think so often to African-American dudes are like, hey, look, I, I want to hear what you guys are talking about when we're not there. 
it was cool to think about it through that lens a little bit. And so maybe later this evening, I'll share a couple of those questions because I, I think at least one of them that I heard this week was valid. So um, with the Ahmad Aubrey's tragedy that happened several weeks ago, I saw Adrian, I saw Chris, I saw TJ, I saw Derek. I saw my closest friends in that situation running down the street being murdered, right? And I think with George Floyd, I didn't see you guys in the same way. But what I wanted to ask you was, do you see yourself when you see George Floyd on the street? Yeah, I mean, I, I see myself. Um, I see uncles. I think as a black male, especially in this country, anytime, it's almost a, a reflex when one of somebody of my heritage um, has uh, something so tragic happened so publicly, right? And I think for me, ah, it's hard to process. I, I go into, at some point, George is laying there on the ground. He's got maybe two minutes of fight left in him. And at some point he decided, you know, my hands are behind my back. If I just keep telling him, man, I can't breathe. And there's people all around me. At some point, someone's going to help me. And at what point did he decide, no, like I'm about to die at the hands of the very system that's supposed to protect me while I'm being videoed, uh, while people who want to help me are being told to stay back. And God, I just, I think about how I would feel, how, the fear, yeah. um, but yeah. I try to make some kind of last ditch effort. Um, and I don't have a good answer, man. All I can see is my, myself there. And like, mm. what would I do? What would I say? And then the question becomes, okay, well, what would my family and friends do, right? So when yeah. Adrian Parker becomes a hashtag, you see hashtag Adrian Parker on Twitter mm. and all the stories. Oh, he used to be this or he's that, or hey, he's the vice president of marketing. Oh, but remember back in the day, he did this. Yeah. And you're stripping out my dignity and making it, you know, uh, a, a social media conversation. And there's a video of my lynching that's going viral, you know, yeah. video of my murders, seen by millions of people across the across the world. Like, what do you do with that, man? So yeah, I, I see myself. I also see my son, man, and like yeah. you know, like it's it it's 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 a hard pill to swallow, knowing that we've turned a blind eye to justice so long. Now, like, what do we do next? And so, yeah, I I, I see myself, and I think that's why you see uh, and hear a lot of anger from African Americans and people of color, um, just because, yeah, I mean, this has been happening for a long time, and I, I think we're we're angry. We're tired, we're exhausted, we're defeated, we're depressed. Mm. Um, it's hard to go to work. It's hard to focus. I mean, it, it, it's, it affects every area of, of our lives. And I think oftentimes, you know, I had a couple of conversations this week with uh, some of my, you know, white peers or white people from church, or even some mentors. Yeah. And they're like, I had no idea. Like, you know, mm. I had no idea it was this bad. I had no idea it affected you that much. Mm. And yeah. And so I, I think for me, my part, I'm going to share all of that. I'm going to come at you with the uncomfortable, awkward conversations because I need you to know. It's not for me. I don't need your charity, your pity. Mm. I don't I don't need that for myself. But you as white Americans, white Christians, brothers, mm. you need to know the burden that your black community has been carrying for decades. You need to feel that 
And you need to do something about that. And it's not for Adrian, but it's for you. It's for, I think, your future, your kids, mm. and for, for you to be the light that you're called to do. So, no, I'll see myself, but I also mm. see an opportunity, man. Man, 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 man. We are already, like, coming right at you, and it's the very beginning of episode two. I mean, yeah, like, man. this is going to be so good. We may, we may never, ever, ever run out of content. So. One of the things that uh, we talked about when we started this podcast was we looked back at your writings and we said, hey, how do we take something that we know that has been brewing inside of Adrian for the last several years? We all know that there's, you know, deep wisdom. I believe that it's spirit led inside of you. And so like part of this podcast is to, to unlock that a little bit, you know, and so we kind of created a format for this show, right? Like we were going to say, hey, what are some things that we're letting go of? Like, and I think we've joked and said that that's uh, good advice gone bad, right? <laughs> or, or bad advice that was framed as good advice, however you want to look at that. We talked about like, what are we learning now? Because I think you and I are constantly learning. We're constantly reading. Even as crazy as the world is around us right now, like there's still something to be learned. We've been challenged in our families and in our churches and in our businesses to be leaders. And so the question then becomes, what are we leading into? So that's going to be the standard framework for every one of these episodes. I think we have to be respectful and honorable of the the death of George Floyd and African-American brothers in front of him. And we're going to have to talk through that. I mean, we can't ignore that in culture right now. But I think we also want to say, hey, There's some other stuff that on this podcast specifically, we want to unpack with you guys. And I think all of it's going to be woven together. I think you're going to hear threads of it throughout. So with that said, how do you want to lead us off with this bad advice? Yeah, you know what? I think it's a good opportunity because it all does intertwine, right? So how we treat other people, right? So it's not just a black or white thing, right? It's how we treat other people, man. What are we called to do as leaders? as fathers, as businessmen, as, um, you know, it's just community leaders, but also that touches business, that touches uh, our, our families. You know, I think um, bad advice I got, so something to let go of. And I, I remember this story um, like it was yesterday. You know, I was uh, I, I was thinking if I was going to say the position I had. So I was... Uh, managing advertising so national advertising for a uh, retailer and i remember i was going into a store and they had sent me to pick up some shoes and apparel and things like that for a, a tv shoot so I, I just got hired and you know i was going in i remember this incident i had with the district manager of that store who took one look at me and and every black guy knows that look when like an older white guy that was looking at you like, hey, you don't belong here. Like, this is my space. And he looked at me and like just dismissed me and would not help me. Like, there's no way he could believe that this young black guy was, You're, you do advertising? Yeah, right. And he like dismissed me, like literally like had the store members like ignore me, hey, get out of my store, et cetera. I ended up having to call the vice president of the company to go in and be able to do my job, right? And I remember the bad advice he gave me was this, don't put it in writing. He said, don't put it in writing because as the leader of the marketing team, he did not want 
a paper trail. He did not want to officially or formally acknowledge not only the racism uh, and the bias and the prejudice of a team member, but he didn't want to have to deal with the repercussions of that, right? And so I remember having this conversation, looking this guy in the eye and say, hey, that's his, that's his advice. And I didn't, right? And so that's when, that's when I started to learn, hey, you got to conform, right? So if you want to get ahead, you got to conform. Hey, I, I could have pushed it. I could have went to HR, but you know what? It would have ended up, I would have been flagged as the dissenter, as the guy that doesn't get along. And so I think the bad advice that I'm letting go of is, no, you challenge the system, right? I think you speak up. And I think you got to be prepared to go with the repercussions. But yeah, I mean, when somebody, anytime somebody says, don't put something on paper, <laughs> you might want to think about it. But anyway, I, I remember, man. So for me, I'm letting go of that, man. Like if somebody calls something out, don't make it easy for people to oppress you. Don't make it easier for people to ignore you. And so I'm, I'm taking it as my mission to call that out. And I want people who work for me, if you're, you know, my team or my teammate or whatever, Call me on it too, for sure, man. Um, yeah, so that's something I'm letting go of from now on, man. What about you? What's 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 some bad advice you got that it stops no more? Man, that is I don't have anything as relevant to the moment as you do, right? And and in fairness, I think your experiences that that's a terrible experience. Like, and and you you talk about this all the time, like as your white brother, like I'm not gonna have to go through that. And you're 100% right. And so, like, in those moments, like, I'm always dumbfounded. Like, what I'm going to say is not as good as that. <laughs> live a little. Just live a little. Uh, you know what's crazy? I mean, most most guys, and I would say this, though. I mean, I would say most women. And I've become hypersensitive lately, probably because I have two daughters. And yeah. you have two daughters and now a son. Yeah. I've become hypervigilant on the way we treat women as well. And mm-hmm. I, I think for us, yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's all all of it, man. It's the bad advice we've given. Um, I've done it, you know, and the yeah. bad advice we've received, man. So yeah, it, it could yeah. be either or. I mean, I mean, you cite me as the guy that's given some, some pretty bad advice too. <laughs> <laughs> I give bad advice all the time, but, but I always put an asterisk in front of it and said, hey, it's worth what it costs you. And if that's zero, my piece of bad advice came when I was a teenager and uh, it was that I was always going to have a car payment. I was told that I was always going to have a car payment and I might as well just build it into my life. (laughs) And, you know, I got to be honest, like when we first came out of college, I I hold on to that. Right. And we got a car payment and then we got another car payment and then we got another car payment. And along the way, it just seemed like that they the car payments were getting bigger and the car pay, the car itself wasn't getting much better. Right. And so then in about 2008, we just scrapped everything and we went the other direction. So to the to the thematic of this podcast about unfollowing. Right. Because normal ain't working. We just said we're not going to have car payments anymore. And so. We dumped the car. We figured out a way to go car payment free. And we have never looked back since then. I understand that they're saying, hey, there's a tool that you're going to need and you're going to have to pay for it. But the truth is, is that that's the difference in looking at assets and liabilities. And so what that individual was telling me is, is that, hey, you're always going to have some kind of liability that you're paying for that it's never really worth what an asset would be worth. And so what I would tell them is, is just buy a used car for cash and immediately it's more of an asset 
because if you ever had to get rid of it, it's worth something. Um, it's just a mindset shift. And I think that's, you know, that's the big difference between me at 40 years old and me at 20 years old is that understanding the difference in assets and liabilities. I'm in the same boat, man. I, I think for me, especially when you grow up and I know we share a similar story financially, right? You grew up and you didn't have much of anything, right? So we grew up and knowing that we didn't have a lot. And so your parents are still into you. Hey, you got to work for everything you got, man. I grew up, I mean, I'm one of six kids mm-hmm. in a three bedroom house, right? I mean, I think my dad raised eight people on maybe, maybe $40,000 a year, Amazing. right? Um, and so, so when you start to get a career, you start to just fall in. You know, we didn't learn about money management. We just knew we didn't have any. Yeah. And I think for me, you just go into the, you know, I buy, I consume the way other people do. But yeah, when it came to the car, I was like that, man. I was like, well, how much? I'm I'm asking the guy selling me a car, how much can I afford? It's, yeah. it's, it's like asking your mortgage, you know, lender, how much can you give me? Yeah. Or walking to the jewelry store, asking the person selling you, you know, the engagement ring for your wife, how much should I spend? Like, yeah. in what world does that ever make any sense? But I did all those things. Like, yeah. right? and then you look back and you say, no, that's so silly. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a proud owner of a, a Toyota and a Honda. 100% paid off. I will never in the rest of my life have a car payment because it makes zero sense. And in fairness, like for y'all listening, just so we know, like AP could drive whatever he wants, <laughs> like straight up. Whatever the man wants, and he's rolling around in two average suburban type of vehicles that you know you could not pick out of a parking lot because hey, part of it is kids, it, like, yeah. like you, right? If if I had a nice car, I mean, I got three kids now. One just turned seven, so happy birthday, Caleb! Caleb is seven today. If I have three kids, seven and under. It doesn't matter what I drive; it's going to end up messed up anyway. So no, you're no. you're right, man. It's just. One of those things where at some point, yeah, I mean, I don't know, at some point would I like to have a nice luxury car? And yeah. Now, I have a list. My, my wife knows if we ever have a major windfall, oh, yeah, if I can buy it cash, I'll get it. But right now, it makes zero sense to spend yeah. it in cash when you've got to, you know, look at investment options, retirement, saving for kids, college yeah. funds. So, no, I'm, I'm with you, man. It's just about there's nothing in this world you can't have if you just have the plan and the patience. Yeah. There's nothing you can't have if you have the plan and the patience. Flip side is we just don't have the plan or the patience. So we end up, you know, going into debt for things that just aren't worth it. So yeah, I think that's I think that's the key takeaway. If you're out there, you're 25 right now and you want to have coffee with Adrian and myself, if you're like, hey, what should I do with my finances? Tip number one, do not get a car payment. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Do not fall for the car payment trap. But so, I'll say this, and I, I know several young folks, right? You, I mean, I say young folks, I sound very old. I'm 40. Uh, you know, call it late 20s, early 30s, where, no, you you want something nice, right? Because you, you see your parents, you see your peers driving. So it's hard. It is very, I, I won't, don't get it twisted. I, I make it sound like, oh, yeah, I'm, I, I got it. I have times when, you know, we all go out to team dinners and, and things with, you know, people from all across the world, and they're in Dallas, Fort Worth, you go to a nice steakhouse, everybody's pulling up to valet, and everybody's got a new car, and it's like luxury this, infinity, and the bins, and everybody's valeting, and then around, you know, then comes my Toyota. <laughs> I have moments where I'm like, man, like, yeah. what am I doing, right? I have those, that happens, man, but no, I, I just think if you can 
take take the long term point of view, right? Okay, yeah. how much can I build to build up to it? Yeah, I think that's the thing. See, it all, it, for me, it doesn't come easy. I'm very much I I failed enough to know that I have to do things differently. So I have to unfollow the bad financial rules that say you always have a car payment. Yep. You always have to have credit card debt. Yeah. Uh, you always have to, you know, have loans for this and that. Yeah. You know, buy a house that's whatever, you know, don't follow anybody's rule of thumb that's profiting from your debt. That's, that's the first thing, right? So don't mm. do that. Be smart, build your own budget, build your own life. Uh, just be smart about it. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's mark that down for episode three to have you unpack some of yeah. your financial wisdom. I know, you teach Financial Peace University at your church and something you guys are passionate about. Um, so I think we need to get to that for episode three. Let's do it, man. I could share all the ways I failed. <laughs> I- <laughs> all right. So moving on to um, what we're learning now, this is kind of really more like book recommendations as we continue mm-hmm. like to educate ourselves and learn more and more and more. Two books specifically that speak to that, that have helped to change my view. Um, are The Legend of the Monk and the Merchant. Um, And it was really a book that was given to me to help me understand how, you know, guys in the business world can partner with um, guys in the church world, right? And how we need each other. It was a really, really eye-opening book for me. So Legend of the Monk and the Merchant. And along those same lines um, is The Richest Man in Babylon. The Richest Man in Babylon was written in 1926, an old book. And I would argue that, that they share a lot of the same themes. But for me, it's really those two books. If you want to take me to coffee, you want to unpack your finances, I'm going to give you those two books and maybe a couple of others to get started on. Those are good, man. I think along the financial uh, ground, and um like I said, I've, I've had a lot of financial face plants. Uh, some books I recommend for everybody. One is, it's a really quick book. It's the uh, top uh, top 10 distinctions between the middle class and the millionaires. Mm. And it's real. I mean, it'll take you literally half a day to read. I've bought that book for at least 20 people. Um, and part of it's mindset, like the way you view money, mm. right? Working for profit versus working for wages, multiple streams of income. Uh, just that that ability to yeah. just think through. There are so many bad uh, money mindsets that we just inherit um, that, you know, you, you always have a car payment. So that book is a great digest. It'll literally take you an hour maybe to read. Mm. But it's a quick hit that shows you, oh, like you think people are millionaires because they just inherited it or they just got lucky. They struck oil. And the reality is the average millionaire most of them work for it. They save, mm-hmm. they save their way to financial independence. And, you know, one of the stats I love to share with people is, you know, the group that uh, over-indexes, meaning uh, the group, the occupational group. So it's the people who work together, who over-index or are more likely to become millionaires later in life. Teachers. Teachers. And because, A, they know how much they're going to make. Mm-hmm. There is no pressure to, like, outdo another one because like yeah we all make whatever it is 50 to 40 or whatever mm-hmm. thousand and so teachers educators um but i think when you look at all the glittering rich folks it's easy to think that that lifestyle is yeah. rich. so i recommend that book to anybody who just wants a quick mindset change on how to think about money and then you get into those habits and we'll talk next podcast about some of the habits and disciplines that help to build not only wealth, but just financial independence, security, yeah. and getting out of debt. 
Man, that's good. Okay, so episode three, we're going to talk about money. Deal? And in addition to that, we're going to talk about the differences in uh, a black household in Fort Worth (laughs) and how you raise your money and a white household in West Virginia and how we were raised with money. Two oh, very different good. households. But I think you might find that uh, very similar mentalities on money. So what are we leading now, right? I think if we're going to be real and relevant, I think you've probably got a lot to say in this moment. So unpack, start to unpack, start to unpack right now. What are you leading into right now, AP? Hope. You know, I think, you know, and I've shared some posts and some some feedback with people online and on, on social media and on my blog, uh, AdrianDParker.com. And, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about, you know, the silence of white Christians and and how that is complicit in racism. I've talked about, hey, how do I raise my son in a biased environment? Talked a lot about that. But I'm hopeful, man, because. I think the reality is, I think we all come to that point where we realize to lead what's next, we've got to let go of the past. Mm-hmm. And I've had that moment several times in my life. And I remember I was uh, about 23 years old. You know, I was in uh, working in New York, living in New Jersey, had everything I thought I needed at the time, which wasn't a lot, but I thought I was the man. I remember coming home one night and just sat at my dining room table crying for i mean i had to cry for 30 minutes i I remember this this awareness Mm. of like all these doubts and sins all the things i've done wrong like you know from just treating people horribly cheating stealing lying all the things you do they're somewhat normal call it for college and you know young adult i remember this visual of even in all that trash god still treated me like his treasure and he took that mountain of sin that i just became aware of and he he threw it into the he threw it away. Like he, mm. He's not holding it against me. And I think for people who are moving forward, right, with either racial reconciliation, mm. you know, a lot of my white peers are like, there's this kind of guilt or this pressure to like, how did I miss this? Mm. I think we all got to come back to just the hope in Jesus Christ. That's the only way to get through it. And so for me, what I'm leading for is I think it starts with our families, man. Yeah. I think it's leading with hope. Into like, I gotta let it go. I gotta, re- I gotta, I gotta ask for forgiveness. I gotta repent of whatever I've done wrong, right? So some mm-hmm. people have things that it's a personal journey, but then submit myself to instruction, right? So I've got to listen to people, right? Whether you're a minister, a pastor, or you're just a, a intern, you got to submit to somebody who can teach you wisdom and, and give yeah. you guidance. And so I think for me, it's leading into. I think I've got to be more vocal, right? Mm-hmm. So to I, I'm going to be a leader. To other people who need to learn and be informed and be educated, but also mm-hmm. be challenged. But I'm also going to just listen, man. I'm, I'm learning from you. I'm learning from other people, et cetera. So for me, it's, it's just leading with hope, um, not forgetting that we all have fallen short. None of this is too big for God, and but mm-hmm. we've got to do it together. And so, yeah, that's, that, that's just where I'm headed, man. It's, it's hoping to the future. Dude. How mm-hmm. about you? What's, uh, what is DC leading into with, a newborn at home. I don't know how you lead anything. I don't know how you even record a podcast with a newborn at home, but here you are. Well, well you, you put him to sleep and then you pray that he doesn't wake up in between segments. Um, <laughs> and if he does, you edit him out. Um, nice. What I would say is, is that in the last couple of weeks, um, you know, I've been really proud of Johanna. And I. You know, listen, we are not the best parents in the world. I'll be honest. Like, we're good. 
and we're okay. And sometimes we're terrible where we are excellent parents is in teaching our children the value of African-Americans and my other minorities as friends and relationships with refrigerator rights. Our house this week had a number of people of different colors inside of it. Our children go on vacation with people of another color. Our children have friendships with people that don't look like them. And I would say that like, that's so important. We were in the kitchen high-fiving each other this week. It's like, you know what? Like, There's a lot of things we don't get to high-five about as parents, but that is something <laughs> we get to high-five about. And as the week went on this week, you know, like, Jahan and I both realized that like our job, like what we're supposed to lead into, it's not to be posting everything, right? It's not to be like the social vigilante. Our job is literally to make sure that we are having conversations with people that look like us, that allow them to understand what people that don't look like them are feeling. This podcast has been, could not be more timely, right? That, yeah. I got, I got text all week long from people saying, Hey, I listened to your podcast with AP and it really made me think about how I think about things specifically, you know, my relationships with people that uh, are a different color, right? Or even my mother-in-law sent me a note and said, have you ever felt like you're on the edge of, of a spiritual earthquake? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, all the time. All the time. <laughs> um, but, but I think too, you know, and I think a lot of people sense this is that, we are we are on we are in a spot in history, right? That things can shift one way or the other. And to your point, like I'm hopeful, but you and I both know that, man, the only answer in all of this is a faith in something much bigger than our own humanity. And there has to be a healing and a redemption in all of this. I think I've heard, you know, that you can't rush healing if that makes sense, like whether it was an injury, whether it's Joe coming back from cancer, like you can't rush healing. And I think the same thing is true for, for racial redemption, right? Like you can't rush healing, but you constantly have to be leaning into it. And so one of the questions I got this week from a friend of mine, he's a white brother, um, strong believer. And he said, D, he's like, I'm done. Like I'm fed up. I'm tired of seeing our African-American brothers die. It's not okay. And I, I, like you, believe that racism is a sin. But what does change look like? And how do we do that? He's like, you know, it doesn't feel like that there are laws on the books, per se, that, you know, we need to get changed like there were 60 or 70 years ago. And I said, that's valid. What do you want to know? And he was like, man, I just want to know what do I need to do? And also, what does real change look like and how do we get there? Because I don't want to waste this moment. And I was like, man, that's a great question. So AP, yeah, give us an answer. Hot seat. Let's go. Hey, you know, I don't know if I have uh, the answer, but I, I guess I'll give you my um, my take based on kind of what, what I, you know, obviously heard, read and saw. And I think to keep it super succinct, I mean, this is a very personal journey for a lot of people. And what I've learned is never make a, Never make a principle out of someone else's experience. We're mm -hmm. all going to process this so differently. And I think, if I think about the body of Christ, right, there are speakers, there are writers, there are musicians, uh, there are people who are protectors and defenders. Everyone has a role in this. And I think it's not for everyone to jump in and start being the social activists, et cetera. I think there are some people who just need to 
like stop and educate themselves and learn and listen and, and be aware. But if I had to bucket it, I think there's three areas, right? I think it's your family, it's your community, and it's your government. I think as a, uh, especially us as men and, you know, women who are listening to, it's up to us to lead our families, to teach them the real history of our country. And that's something that most white Americans don't know. I, I, I'd say from, you know, older, younger, most people don't have a clue of the real history of our country. So it's teaching your kids about the, the history of our country, but also the way to raise kids who treat everyone equal is not to hide, hide inequality from them. It's to point it out. The way to raise kids that do right is to show them what wrong is so that they have an awareness. And I think there's this notion of if we just raise our kids colorblind and I raise my kids that everyone's value, that's great, but that's only half the puzzle. You also have to teach them that what do you do when someone is being treated unfairly? So right. it starts in your family. It's for all of us. No one gets off that. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a family member. I can't tell you how many people have come up to me over the last few years, you know, almost like uh, confessing, right? Their mm-hmm. racist grandma, their racist, you know, father-in-law, their racist cousin. Yeah. They're, oh, yeah, you know, I think my great-grandma, I mean, she had like some black people that are always there and they kind of, are they like sharecropper like and so and but that's not okay you got to call grandma out right and i think you got to be able to have those tough conversations um so it starts in your family i think that second bucket is your community and i'm including the church in the community because i think an effective church has to be plugged into the community you're at a church where it's not reflecting the diversity of your community or the needs of your community, you're at the wrong church. You're not, you're not the body of Christ. You're at a country club with people who all like crosses and, you know, Hillsong and elevation worship songs, but <laughs> that's not a church. Right. So I think yeah. that community has to be where you can meet the needs. And, you know, I grew up in a church where, I mean, people needed transportation. We, 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 have the church bus. We would take you where you needed to go. If you needed food, if you needed clothing. My family grew up getting donations of clothes and money to pay our bills from our church, right? So our church met our actual needs. Mm. But think about um, a lot of white churches, especially uh, if you're evangelical or middle or upper class, the need on those churches has is not material. Mm. It's, it's in the heart. I think there's a heart of um, resistance to reconciliation. There's a heart of ignorance to, to race relations. There's a heart where um, you've been so racially segregated from black mm-hmm. people in your schools, in your industry, et cetera, where you don't even know black people. Like yeah. when you say refrigerator rights, I'm gonna invite a black person over. You don't even have a black person <laughs> that you can invite <laughs> over, right? Yeah. Um, and so that community has gotta be, well, you gotta make a conscious, deliberate effort to have yeah. meaningful relationships with people of color of all nationalities yeah. and it's not about charity it's yeah. not about mentorship and it's not about superiority it's about helping and so mm-hmm. it's not mission trips to haiti and uganda those are great but what are you doing in your own community to help yeah. and that third bucket is government i think for so long we've been on autopilot with how we vote right it's like straight democrat straight republican i gotta vote for this person that person and we haven't thought about the ramifications of who we're putting in office and when you look yeah. the constant theme and Ahmad. Arbery, Breonna Taylor, you look at George Floyd, or mm-hmm. people who have been in office and in places of power who have had long records of not being equitable, 
long records of abuse, long records of, I mean, these aren't, these aren't surprises. Mm -hmm. Um, They're disappointing, but they're not surprising. And I think as all of us have to start knowing who we're voting for, knowing who's in office and putting people in place that are not um, going to keep our brothers and sisters at bay, but welcome them into our community. That's Mm -hmm. our schools. um, That's our communities. That's our churches. That's our homes. Mm -hmm. I think how, not only how we vote, because the vote is a one, is a, you know, once every six months thing. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, how do we bring people together? What, you know, your school districts, what are your policies on multicultural and and diversity? How are you bringing diverse teachers into the school district? Your law enforcement agency, what is their policy for de-escalating with African-Americans? How many African-Americans are on your police force? I mean, these are all public things. You can do these things today. These take no doctorate degree in African-American history or studies. They take, no, you don't have to take Adrian to, to, to launch. Yeah. Like, start these today. Starts in your family, starts in your community, starts yeah. in your government. and starts with prayer and humility to acknowledge yeah. that, hey, I'm deficient. And let God lead you through that. You know, we talked about our, our money issues. I had horrible credit. Like, I mean, gosh, I, I, I couldn't get a loan from my own brother. And he only had like 11 bucks um, <laughs> in his sock drawer. Right. And I had to start that process of like contacting the creditors, getting my credit report, writing a letter, paying my bills on time. It takes seven years to get yeah. the bad credit off my record. And now, of course, yeah, now I'm, I'm fine. That was a long process, but you know, I had to start somewhere. So yeah. you got bad racial credit. Mm-hmm. There you go. There you go. Let's go. You got to start, go. man. Get an yeah. audit. And you know, the hardest part of, of getting my credit right, I don't know, it's 20 years ago, mm-hmm. that first step of getting the credit report and looking at all the things I had, I hate, I didn't, I didn't want to face it. So I think mm-hmm. taking a, a audit of yourself, your heart, your history, where have you just yeah. been a total jerk to somebody because of their color? Where have you laughed at a joke? Where have you been silent uh, mm-hmm. when somebody has said something and you know that wasn't right? Take yeah. that audit, own it, and don't let it happen again. Yeah, yeah. So I have solved racial reconciliation <laughs> in three minutes. Ah. <laughs> we're, so, we're so good. We're so good. Episode three will be very lighthearted. <laughs> That's a good question, uh, man. Yeah. All right. So, uh, so second question, and I think it's more of a more of a thematic that pops up in mm-hmm. situations like this. And it's been this way ever since Rodney King. Um, it's actually probably been this way since the, the Detroit riots um, in the late sixties. Right. But um, when we see um, what some would say are protests, some would call riots. Right. And then we start to see looting and violence and fire. And, you know, we it feels more than just marching down the street uh, in honor of someone or hoping to change culture. Right. Yeah. When we start to see those things, I start to hear different words. Right. I start to, to hear it's OK to, to protest, but you don't have to burn things. All right. Like it's OK to do this, but you don't have to flip over that car or, you know, then all of a sudden we see a president that like is tweeting out about things like that again. Yeah. Using racial slur yeah. from the 1960s, right? Yeah, yeah. When yeah. the loot, when yeah. they start the looting, we start the shooting. Whatever, yep. right? Yeah. But, like if we're honest, like I think there's a lot of white folks who saw the video last week of George Floyd, right? And they said that is terrible. It makes me sick. I hate that. I don't ever want that ever happen again. And then in the same week, they turned and they see the riots that are happening right now across our country. Right? It's almost like they shift and say. 
uh, why is that group of people burning things down? That's not okay. All right. So like help someone, help someone bridge the gap between the death of George Floyd last week and feeling empathy there or right into the uh, into the current place of hey, there's riots happening actually literally in other parts of the world right now. Um, yeah, so. yeah. No, it's a it's a question I think a lot of us are wrestling with. Yeah, I'm, I'm on a text thread now with a, a group of uh, black black fathers and right, and it's like, what do we tell our kids? Like, right? how do we communicate with our kids who are seeing this snapshot in time, right? And I think reflexively, a lot of us judge the protesters, the demonstrators, et cetera. And so, yeah, we, we've talked about a few things. I, I'll share a few thoughts. One is I think we have to be real careful how we define like protesters, demonstrators versus rioters and looters. Because mm-hmm. I think there's enough evidence and even enough visual, I think, material to show that there are people with, that had honest intent to really demonstrate prejudice. And everyone who was demonstrating wasn't a, a rioter or a, a looter. They weren't destroying property or stealing property, right? So there, there are, and so, you know, we, we just don't know. So I think we have to be very cautious on lumping them together and saying, hey, everybody out there should just stop. And so I, I think that's one, but I think two, especially I would say this to um, white people specifically or people um, who would label, I think you have to consider the full spectrum, right? The context of this, right? got 400 years of slavery, Jim Crow, reconstruction, mm-hmm. uh, mass incarceration of black and brown people. There have been protests for so long mm-hmm. in this. I mean, we've done everything. Executive orders. No, at no point in this country was anything ever done for a person of color without a protest. Right. right? Or a assassination. I mean, mm-hmm. it has always taken bodies and lives to make any progress against white supremacy. So yes. I'm not supporting or condoning, I think, the violence, et cetera. But I understand that a lot of it is due to um, pent up anger and the acknowledgement that no there one is, is listening. And so I think, you yeah. know, everyone shares the Martin Luther King quote, you know, you know, rioting is a language of the unheard. But before that, he said, hey, rioting is destructive. And a lot of times it's, it's self-defeating. So he didn't advocate for it, but he also understood that yeah. it's only so long you can tell someone, hey, yeah, we're going to keep oppressing you, but you don't really speak about it. We're going to yeah. oppress you. I need you to protest my way. Colin Kaepernick was vilified by a ton of white America for years, right, for this same thing. And that was considered unpatriotic, et cetera. And then you also see that the narrative, the juxtaposition of, you know, a lot of the armed militias that stormed the Capitol because mm-hmm. they wanted the quarantine and the shelter mm-hmm. in place to be gone, right? AK-47s. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of those, if not all of them, were were white people, right? Yeah. And nothing, like, there wasn't tear gas, there weren't rubber bullets, mm-hmm. um, lives weren't lost in the protest. And so mm-hmm. I think when you look at the hypocrisy of our country, um, we've got to take a stance of humility. I, I think my, my thing would be take a stance of humility. So I don't think it's anyone's place to judge the actions. I think if we all started in with our own hearts, what have I done wrong? Where have I missed the mark? Where, mm-hmm. where I didn't speak up or I said something that I shouldn't have said. I think yeah. if we start there, we can start from a, a point of humility. You know, God said, cast all my cares on him. 
And so I think we all give it to him, right? So I, I think, you know, for me, I'm not judging the people who are riot, who might be rioting. I support the people who might be demonstrating. And I've marched before in my life. I mean, my first march was a NAACP march in Pittsburgh uh, mm-hmm. when I was 16 years old. It was because um, Black men were being killed in Pittsburgh. But we weren't protesting against the cops. We were protesting against our Black community. We were killing each other, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think protesting has always had a had a form of constructive um, uh, community building. It's been effective and it's allowed right. us to rally around a moment in time. I think we've got to do it uh, constructively, but I, I, w- I would caution against labeling intent or judging it. Yeah. So if you're judging the protest, but not talking about why they're protesting, yeah. don't, don't even talk about it. Right. Don't yeah. even talk about it. Like it's so, yeah. So that's, that's the thing. And so because there's so much uh, sentiment and anger at this time, it's one of those things where I think you got to take a step back, look at your own heart and your own family and, and, and what you've done and just take a really big dose of humility and really, really kind of pray about, Hey, what's in my heart that I need to work on versus yeah. looking on TV to, to judge the person that might be doing something that, that I don't agree with. Well, and I think the question that you can ask yourself in this moment, specifically as a white, white Christian, right? Again, I can only speak to white male Christians yeah. is when you saw George Floyd's death, how did that make you feel? And then when you see uh, a building burning or uh, a Starbucks burning or a, uh, a monument defaced, right? Which one did you feel more angry about? Did you feel more angry about George being murdered or do you feel more angry about somebody burning down your Starbucks? Right. And I think that you have to ask yourself in the quiet of your own home, in your mind, like, which one do you feel more angry about? If I am not as angry about George's death, right, like that's my moment to come back and to ask forgiveness. Right. So, yeah, it's real. Yeah. Yeah. I think it starts with us. You know, I think. um and I think overall, man, I mean, we, we just don't put our, our hope in man. I think, you know, it's, it's folly to believe that we have, we have to solve this together, but we know that any solution is going to be a God yeah. solution. We know we're heaven sent instruments. And so I think we've always got to look up. So I think this is the time where Christians, more than anything, we've got to step up. We've got to be visible. Yeah. We've got to be vocal. We've got to be the light. We can't rush to um, try to heal the wound so fast that we overlook why, why they were there. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think, you know, for a lot of white Christians, this is the time to, uh, to really, really sit with it, to learn, mm-hmm. uh, listen, read a book. I'm hearing that a lot of the books are sold out on Amazon. So like white fragility or um, uh, be the bridge, racial reconciliation, like people ordering all these books. So <laughs> if you can't find the book, Google it. Like there's there's enough information yeah. out there to try to get educated. Maybe black folks just started sending white people <laughs> Amazon gifts. <laughs> okay, <laughs> they're like, y'all need to read this. On behalf of Black America, you know what's crazy, uh, D? A lot of black people we don't want. A lot of black people don't want to know the real, real deep history of it, right? I mean, hmm. I'm, I so I grew up in a black church that was very uh, social, socially active and civic. So we grew up having to learn all about it. And I went to a, a black college. So we took courses on it. And so I think I've been steeped in it a little bit, but there's so much, but one book I'd recommend um, for white and black Christians is a book called uh, divided by faith. Um, it's the evangelical religion and the problem of race in America. So divided by faith 
It's by Michael Emerson and Christian Smith. Uh, great book that just talks about I mean, how do we get here, and what do what? How did the how does the church play a role in racism? I think that's what we got to own, right? So if I'm talking to not white people, I'm talking to white Christians, right? We believe mm-hmm. the same God. We serve the same Jesus. We believe in, uh, you know, his death, burial, and resurrection. I'm talking to you, and we're talking as brothers, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's a very different conversation. I think that's a conversation where I should be able to challenge you and call you out and say, yeah, you need to step up. But I should be able to do that in love. And I think for me, that's what I'm very passionate about in this season is I think being vocal uh, to a, to a lot of my white brothers and sisters really not call you out in judgment, but really press you that man. I mean, there, there's a history here that we all have to um, take ownership of, but we are the solution, man. Yeah, and I, and I would add to that too. I think most people just have a limited perspective of eternity, and so what they forget yeah. so often is that we are going to spend our eternity with our brothers and sisters different colors, different nationalities. Like it's not going to be white Jesus, right? In heaven. Right. And so I think when we, when we really want to get to what the core of this is about, it's about, Hey, we're going to be celebrating for eternity together. Let's just get on the same page now. So when I get there, I don't have to spend eternity apologizing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I love that. Hey, you know what? It makes me think. So my dad, uh, Reverend Donald Parker, uh, he he preached today, and it was a great sermon. I saw it online. He he's a a, a pastor at uh, Mount Pisgah Baptist Church, one of the oldest black churches in Fort Worth, 100 and I think 65 years old. And don't kill me if I get that wrong. That I know it's a, it's a big milestone, but he, he made a great point. You know, he, he talked about that you know, white flight, right? Anytime you know black people move into the neighborhood, uh, people of color sometimes you know white people move out. He's like, man, what are they going to do in heaven? You know, like, <laughs> I mean, I was like, you, there's no white flight in heaven. Right. And but he asked this question. He said it joking, but it's like, man, if we can't get along down here. Yeah. Are we going up there? Right. Come on. And he, 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 he was joking. But I mean, man, there's enough scripture, man. You look at you start flipping through Jeremiah. You look through Zechariah and you're like, man, like yeah. when he's warned, when God has warned us like about oppressing people. Hey, there's justice and mercy and peace. And hey, you know, the greatest thing is love expressing itself through faith. And the greatest of these greatest of these commandments is this love. And we're having problems doing that. Mm-hmm. Like I said, hey, I'm 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 on one side of the courtroom with everybody else. So there is no judgment. We are all defendants. Right. So we're all on the same side of the courtroom. But man, I, I thought it was a deep thought. I mean, mm-hmm. we can't get it right. I mean. Something's wrong, but you know. So I think us as, as Christians, man, gosh, r- racism is the issue, right? Yeah. I mean, let's call it oppression in any form is our issue. It's our problem to adopt, our yeah. problem to solve, and it's been that way since the beginning of time. So yeah. let's and, go. And then I think let's let's draw one more distinction here too. Um, white Christians are are well known for protesting against. Um, all of the normal stuff, right? That white Christians yeah. protest against yeah. uh, same sex marriage, uh, abortion. abortion. Yep. Um, and specifically when you pointed abortion and there's multiple uh, examples that I have, even in this past week of guys that I know are showing up at rallies to, um, to protest against abortion. Right. But man, they watch a, a, a black brother get murdered on the street and they literally go silent. And then 
Then they complain about people rioting. Oh, you're gonna get me excommunicated. Oh man, I'll, hey, I'll say mean, it for you. I'll say it for <laughs> you. That that's not okay, right? And I think oh. there are so many examples of uh, folks that are traditionally have traditionally gone to black churches, right? That have moved to predominantly white churches in the last ten years, and they feel they feel alone. They feel like, wait, 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 wait. I came here because the church that I was at was dying, right? I came to this predominantly white church. And now you guys don't stick up for us, but you'll go fight for unborn lives, right? Like this, this doesn't make sense. Like I'm standing here in front of you telling that my, my son, my nephew, my husband, you know, is at danger when he goes out in his car at night and you guys won't protest for us, but yet you'll go to DC to walk in in uh pro-life and i would tell you that if you're not willing to fight for your black brother you're not pro-life period i would agree I, yeah you're pro-birth right hey i want and which is which is what like, i don't minimize that like, like i said abortion is serious i mean I, I i absolutely think you know the death of a kid or a baby is is wrong it's murder and then there's no scenario in god's word where we can justify that right um, but I absolutely agree. I think, you know, when it comes to any number of, of, of issues, and I, I wrote something about this last month, I think in every other area, right, whether it's a, abortion, right, we have ministries for uh, women, ministries for men, we have education. Uh, when it comes to uh, youth and ministry, we have uh, people and resources and budgets and campaigns and logos. When it comes to building a new building and raising money to to, to break ground, uh, when it comes to any initiative, the American church is a machine. We are businesses and we have dedicated staff and people and we get it done. Racism is the only thing. Click on the website. There's not a lot of information there. Um, Mm -hmm. And there is really no... um, discrete or dedicated plan. So we have goals without plans. So goal, hey, racial reconciliation, we should reflect God's heart as the kingdom of God. We have absolutely no plan to get there. Yeah. We have absolutely no accountability. We haven't uh, reflected it in our leadership. Yeah. Uh, we just expected our leadership and our elders are magically be diverse when we don't actively push and recruit for that. Um, but and we also don't foster those conversations. We don't accept uh, people into those conversations uh, to push us. Um, so a lot of it is that I, I, I think we've got to start thinking about, you know, I think broadening that perspective. I, I, you're absolutely right. I think there is, you know, most churches um, don't have any kind of dedicated uh, plan resources uh, for for that outreach. And I think we have it for everything else. So it's becoming um, very obvious in its absence in a way that is becoming harder and harder to explain. So wrapping this up a little bit for us, if you are a white guy out there and you're asking, what does change look like and how can I affect that? And you say, well, man, my vote only happens once every six months, right? Like I can reshare something that Adrian said, where it really (laughs) is gonna happen at is that you're in your family and in your church, right? And I think this last statement that you made here is, is so important. If your church website does not have a plan for eradicating racism, 
it's missing something. Yeah, it's tough. Well, and I think it's the it's the not only the website, right, but it's the corresponding plan, right? I think all of us, like your church, probably has. I've, I've visited your time. You guys, probably, and you know, you guys probably have a very discreet plan, right? For you know, we are gonna raise money and you know do these. We have campaigns and missions, and and God glorifies. I I think God is present in all those plans, and we pray about them, et cetera. I think we've got to take that same fervor into the idea of racial reconciliation in a way that reflects God's heart with humility and grace and, and be able just to have, have those conversations. I, I yes. agree. I, I think it's got to be as important as the other ministries, the other resources yeah. that, that we find. And if it's not at this point, I, I, I would have to question, um, you know, there's not only sincerity, but the, um, the, the focus, are we really aligned with God's heart? Yeah. It's not a question for me to answer for any church. Um, it's a, it's a question for the church to answer. And, you know, my church, right. I think we, you know, we're, we're having conversations and, you know, we have different groups that are doing racial reconciliation ministries and we're doing a a lot of things. I think we've made some good baby steps, but we've got a ways to go. Right. And I think we're at least open and humble enough to wrestle with that conversation. And I think we've all got to get to the point where we can be awkward, nervous, uncomfortable, foolish, and Mm -hmm. silly together but we're doing it to the glory of God. So don't be, don't be scared to have the awkward conversation. It's mm, good. Like this one. <laughs> All right, AP. I love you, man. Love you too, man. This, this is a great, uh, great opportunity. Thanks for your push. Everybody. If you're listening, Daryl is the mastermind orchestrator. He is the Enneagram eight of this podcast and he will not let this die. And I'm all here for it. So I pray it was helpful. Uh, anything we said, that is uh, in conflict with their theology. You probably need to read a new Bible because we're always right. And yeah, <laughs> check out the next episode. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> we are going to have one follower. <laughs> and it'll be your mom. <laughs> hey guys, this is the Unfollowed Podcast with AP and DC. I hope you've enjoyed what you heard. And if you didn't, that's okay. There's 100,000 other podcasts out there. But if you did, we hope you subscribe and you share this with a friend. We'll talk to you soon.